are listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. Welcome again to another episode of Meet and Write podcast. We're really excited to have once again with us Father Anthony Mesa, a dear friend and a spiritual father for me uh, from St. Timothy and St. Athanasius Coptic Orthodox Church in Arlington, Virginia. Thanks again, Abuna, for being with us again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, Abuna. So now we want to go a little bit further into the wedding or the crowning ceremony. There's a lot of stuff that we see, and we know that we need to be engaged as congregation members, as deacons, wherever we are, that we need to be actively participating. Because like we mentioned in the last episode, that this is not just a celebration or just a place for us to dress up, but this is a, a divine interaction, a divine celebration, a transformation of, of a man and a woman into establishing a, a new body, a new church uh, between them two and, and as Christ in their midst. But there's a lot of stuff that we see that maybe we don't understand everything. And we see, you know, ribbons, we see crowns, we see oil. There's a lot of stuff that we see, but maybe we never really stop to think about, you know, what on earth is this for? So with first question I'd like to ask you, one is just, you know, what is one thing, one of the what's one of the rites or rituals that we see that maybe we don't understand and, and what's the meaning of it? So usually when I celebrate a wedding, one of the first things that I point out um, you, usually I, in every wedding, there's, you know, there's guests, people who are not part of the church. So I always like to give a little intro at the beginning of what you're going to see. And I always say in an Orthodox church, the most important thing that you understand is that you'll see a lot of stuff happening and there's stuff on the outside representing stuff on the inside that's taking place. So you'll see visible things, which represent invisible, um, truths or realities taking place, um, and that's so clear in, in in a wedding because lots of stuff is happening. And one of my favorite things that most that usually goes unnoticed by most people, including um, you know people who have attended a thousand weddings, is at one point in the service we tie a red ribbon uh, around the bride and the groom, and that happens in the beginning. Okay, we start with the the procession in, and then the Thanksgiving prayer, and then a, a prayer of the vestments, and. Usually, you know, we, we think of the vestments, we think of, you know, like the, the, the priestly vestments that goes on. But before we put that priestly robe on the bride and the groom, we tie a red ribbon around them. I always wondered what is the point of this red ribbon. And, um, you know, I, I would think to myself, you know, red usually symbolizes blood. Okay, so I would think that it's the blood of Christ. Okay, and that's usually when I ask people say, you know, what is this red ribbon symbolizing that I tie around you? And people say it's the blood of Christ, you know, which bonds us together. And I thought about that. And the more I thought about it, I said, you know what? I don't think it's the blood of Christ. Because number one, Christ already died. And in order for this marriage to work, it's not about Christ dying again. It's about you dying. And that's why we tie one around the bride and around the groom. It doesn't represent Christ's blood. It represents the blood of the groom and the bride and and you know, when I say that, people are a little taken aback. And that's why I have this saying that I always say, which is that every wedding is a funeral. And it's a wedding, it's a funeral of a single man and a single woman, and they have to die in order to be born into this new union that we spoke about last session, this new entity, which is a, a, a trinity, a union of God, man, and woman. So if you think about it, the only way to take, put, put on a new pair of shoes is have to take off the old pair of shoes. So the only way to put on a new life is have to take off the old life. 
So what that red ribbon reminds me of, and I always remind the husband and, and the, the bride, or the, the, the groom and the bride at the wedding, I say from this point on, I'd say the boy's name is Jim. I say from this point on, Jim, there's no more Jim. And let's say her name is Mary. There's no more Mary. There's only a new unity of Jim, Mary, and God. That's the only thing. So all of a sudden, Jim wants to watch TV and, uh, and relax. But the unity of God, Jim, Mary says it's time to go to church. Okay, and the best thing for this new unity is we need to go to church or we need to get up and mow the lawn or we need to get up and help with the dishes. Then Jim is no more about Jim. Okay, Jim is now all about the unity of God, Jim, and Mary. And same thing with Mary. It's no more about what I want. It's about what we need, all right, and what is best for this new unity. That's why I always tell people, say, if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to get married, all right? And single people, if you're dating someone who is not ready to die, they're probably not ready to get married. Yeah, I like what you said, Father, that, you know, the, the ribbon is not the, the blood of Jesus necessarily, but it's the blood of, of the bride and the groom that, like you mentioned, that there has to be a death in order to have new life. It's not just, you know, celebration that we're about to have to spend the rest of our life together, but there has to be death in order for the two to become one. Something I've heard you mention several times, Father, at weddings is the white cloth that you put on the bride and the groom as their hands are, they're holding each other. Can you explain what that is and how is this connected to the, the spirit or the essence of what the wedding is? Yeah, so that, that's exactly, you know, along the same point. And, um, you know, before I, I, I mention that, all of the things that I'm talking about here are not really like... Um, I'm not a scholar by any means, and I don't know the historical reasons or when these things came into play. I'm talking more spiritual meditations. So, and in every one of the rituals of the church, there's always like a a historical reason why it came in, like a theological reason, and then we meditate on it and give it, you know, meditation. So that's that's kind of what I'm talking about right here. And and one of those things, as you mentioned, is the white cloth at the very end of the service. Um, the bride and the groom hold hands, and we cover their hands with a white cloth. Now, some say that that was connected to um, when the when the the wedding used to take place in the liturgy, that that would be the cloth which they would use to receive communion, which is is uh, one which is true. But now that the 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 weddings usually are not done in the liturgy. What meaning can we find from this white cloth? Well, I look at it back to the point of the red ribbons of the two dying and becoming one. When I cover their hands with that cloth, what I always tell them, I whisper in their ear as I'm doing it, I say the reason that, that we're where you're holding hands, that I'm covering your, your hands with that cloth, is that from God's eyes, you two are one now. Okay, there's no more an end of Jim and a beginning of Mary. Okay, the two are one. And as far as, as, you know, the people in the, in, the, in the church can see, Jim begins, and then there's some kind of mystical union there, which we can't really see, and there's something mysterious. We don't know where he ends, she starts, and then we see all of her. They are now one body, and when, when we, we look at our marriage that way, okay, then we fulfill, you know, what Christ spoke about. That in the New Testament, St. Paul spoke about as well, about how when we're married, we're joined together in one flesh, and we're no more two. So if if I hurt, if my spouse hurts, then I hurt. If she's in need, I'm in need. And I, I can no longer think about just myself and what I need. I have someone else who's connected to me, and connected to me by God, 
Okay, not not connected because I said I love you or till death do us part. That doesn't connect us. Okay, I I always you know tell again tell the bride and the groom that in a you know, an American wedding, it's kind of like I vow this and you vow that. There's no vows in an Orthodox wedding, but there is a vow. The vow is not between man and woman. The vow is between man and God that I will obey his commandments and then God and man that I will unite you to and what God has joined together, let not man separate. So it's not a human-human contract, okay, in like a worldly way that we think of it. It's a divine covenant. God covenanting with us and us vowing to him that I will be the husband that he commands me to love my wife and that she will be the wife that he commands to submit to her husband. Yeah, and I like that. And one of my favorite parts that that, uh, we see in weddings is we put the white cloth and then they come and and kneel before the altar of God. And I, I love that ending part because it feels now they're one and standing before the throne and asking for God to come in between them to have that that triune unity between husband, wife, and God. And that's a perfect picture of what married life should look like. And and married people, who those who are listening out there, married people, anytime there's a problem in your marriage, anytime there's a problem in your marriage is because you left that place. You left that altar, you left that red ribbon. And 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 that the the image that you just said, Michael, about how husband and wife wearing their red ribbon, wearing their crown, wearing their robes, bowing in front of the altar of God. That has to be how we live every single day of our life, not just our wedding day. When there's a problem in my house and one kid is sick and the other one has homework and the power went out and we got to pay the electricity bills and we have all these, where do we go? We go to our red ribbon of unselfishness, dying to myself. We bow before our altar, okay, in our home. It's great to have an altar in your home. And we remind ourselves that we were united by God. God brought us together. God will get us through this thing. Um, that's a perfect picture. I, I wish every married couple didn't just bow before the altar on their wedding day, but that's a daily occurrence. Yeah, and 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 personally, that's why I love attending weddings now is because it's a reminder of my wedding day and where do I stand now as far as holding my wife and kneeling before God, before his throne, to see where am I as far as dying to myself and carrying her uh, to God. All right, Father, another part that we see in the wedding is oil. We see, you know, the priest taking out oil and blessing them. You know, what's all that about? And I know we see oil in different sacraments, but why at the wedding? So oil is always representing in in the in the in the Bible is like the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's it's God giving man something to be able to do his job. That's why in that prayer that we say there, what we say is God who anointed out of the olive out of the olive tree prophets, priests, and kings. So God wanted someone to be a prophet, so he ordained him with oil, all right? And then now you have the ability to do the task. Same thing with a king. I ordain you to be a king, but I first give you the power to do it. Well, marriage, all right, in the last episode, we spoke about how marriage is a great and it's crowning and it's something heavenly, but marriage is also hard. And that's why when in the gospel reading that we read during the wedding ceremony comes from Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus is asked about divorce, and he said, no, 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 no divorce. He who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and this is why you leave your father and mother and join to your wife and two become one. And what God has joined together, let not man separate. And the gospel finishes right there. Okay, that's Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 through 6. But then if you continue reading in, in the gospel, which we, we don't do during the church, but if you continue that chapter in the New Testament, 
when when he says that his disciples continue like the conversation goes on and they asked about but why did moses allow people to get divorced you know in the old testament and jesus said no 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 moses allowed it but that was never the right way and jesus said no divorce when you're married you stick with this woman for the rest of your life which was a very foreign concept back in the first century middle east okay in the jewish culture society uh, it was not that way is you married a, a a woman for a purpose when you were you know i'm sorry to say you know no longer wanted her you can put her away it was very easy for a man to divorce his wife jesus said no you stick with her forever she's yours forever and the response that they gave to him it's comical but it, it, it's true and it, and it and it points out something which we know about marriage matthew chapter 19 verse 10 his disciples said to him if such is the case of the man with his wife meaning if such is the case that he has to be with her forever he cannot divorce her if such is the case of a man with his wife it is better not to marry so basically jesus told them no marriage is forever and they said oh my goodness really then it's better not to get married and they were they were pointing the reality that we know to be true which is that marriage isn't easy so when god asks us to do something difficult he never asks us to do something difficult without giving us the power to do it and that's what the oil is that's why in that in the prayer of the oil if you if you if you'll notice it it's all about giving protection to the man and the woman giving power to the man and the woman giving chastity to the man and the woman it's it's imbuing with them imbuing them with the power of the holy spirit to do the impossible which is for the husband to love your wife as christ loved the church that is an impossible task but god calls us to it but he gives us the power to do it and same thing with the wife to submit to the husband as the church submits to christ an impossible task and that's why you say how can i love her when she's a and how can i submit to him when he doesn't know and you you start to hear these things and you say you know what truly it's a divine task but God doesn't ask us to do something without giving us the tools to do it. All right. So that's 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 what we see in the oil. It's the empowering of the the bride and the groom to do the task that God commands. Yeah, I mean, I like what you said, Father, that it's it's the oil that equips the husband and the wife to to do this impossible task. You know, we know that that marriage is hard, but it's through God's grace and it's got through God's power that equips us to be able to to enjoy this mystical union between a husband and wife. Another thing that we see a lot in, in weddings and the crowning ceremony is the crowns. You know, everyone always loves seeing, you know, the husband or wife put on the crown and the, the you know, the, the husband, you know, usually gets all, you know, puffed up when, we, when they put on that crown. And it's it's such a cool scene to see the bride and the groom in these, in these beautiful vestments and these crowns. But, you know, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I would love to talk more about it, Father, is, is what's the point of the crowns? Yeah, if there's one you know, message I could get across to everyone who is getting married or attending a, a wedding or or is was married, you know, 50 years ago, is that marriage is, it is a crowning. It is an honor bestowed upon us by God. And when we, when we wear those crowns, we're reminded of that. Like when you think of our church, who wears crowns? You hear crown of what? You usually think of martyrdom, okay? And the crown of martyrdom. And we'd say that God gave, you know, St. Mina, St. George, all the great martyrs, the crown of martyrdom. And that's not just like an earthly thing. Like it's not an earthly thing at all, actually. Earthly actually meant a very difficult uh, circumstance, but it's a heavenly crown, a divine crown, an eternal crown, something in the heavens. 
And we use the same terminology for marriage. Now, some people would like to say that marriage and martyrdom, you know, go together hand in hand, which, you know, I don't mean it that way. But what I mean it is to say is that marriage is a gift from God. And I wish in our churches, in our nation, that we would begin to go back to the, the, the ancient view of marriage as an honorable, that is not a concession. Like sometimes in our overly monastic way of looking at things, we think that you know celibacy is the way to go and marriage is just a concession for the weak. It's, it's, it's clear from our, 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 our church writings and our church fathers and, and that even the apostles, you know, of, of whom of who were like the original bishops of our church and, and all, most of them were married, is that marriage is not any less than celibacy. It's a different calling, okay? And the one who's called to celibacy should not be married and the one who's called to marriage should not be, you know, pursuing celibacy. It's not greater or higher or lower. It's it's a different calling. And I wish that we would view it as that, as a calling. And we'd see it as not just, you know what, a concession because I'm earthly or anything like that. But God has called me and crowned me to be a married man, a married woman, a husband and wife, raise a godly family, serve in this world, okay, in a way that honors God and dignifies God as a doctor or lawyer or whatever it may be. And that we would see that marriage, I always feel like with me personally, is that who I am today, I wouldn't be the same without the gift that God gave me in marriage. Okay, they say that, you know, he who runs alone runs fast, but he who runs with another runs far. I think that's an African proverb or Chinese proverb, I don't know. It's, um, and I feel that way in marriage, that people say, Father Anthony, you're great. Father Anthony, you did this. The reason Father Anthony is who he is is because I have a helpmate, okay, a partner in life, someone that I am united with. All right. And and if I didn't have her, she's she's the reason why I can do what I do today. Yeah, I mean, I like what you said, Father. It's beautiful how like we're designed to to go through life with with a partner and have this this union because we're designed to be relational beings. So it's it's it is very powerful and very beautiful of how we find this union that we're able to go further when we share life and have this vulnerability and accountability with a spouse. And everything we're saying obviously is 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 reflected in in the in the prayers that we pray in the wedding. So next time we just hear the prayers that we're not just passively going through it and just waiting until it's done, but that we're actually praying it. You know, one example uh, near the end of the service is that the priest prays that this crown that we're putting on the bride and groom is is a crown of joy and happiness. And then the all the people say amen. This is true. We want these crowns not just to be these cute little gold things on their head, but we want it to be for joy and happiness, for jubilation and delight, for just for virtue and justice, for wisdom and understanding. That we just we don't just hear these words that we do pray, that these crowns become something that they wear for the rest of their life, that they find this wisdom and, and grace and patience with each other, and both of them are always pointing uh, toward God. Thank you so much, Father, for taking your time on this on this episode, and, and hopefully a prayer for all of us is that next time we get into wedding season and we attend the next wedding, that we're not just going through, that we can actually take time to pray for maybe our own marriage and more and pray for uh, the bride and groom. Amen to that. You have been listening to Meet and Write. For more episodes and resources, make sure to check out CopticHymnsInEnglish.com.